Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello and welcome to the Black Experience Hour. This is a weekly program bringing you news and opinion pieces from a variety of sources. This one's being recorded on the 24th of August for the listening week that begins the 26th, and your reader's name is Susan Shirey. This week, first up, you'll be hearing some business history and current events articles, turning to blackenterprise.com for starters. First, from their history column, This was posted August 24th. 96-year-old black woman from Alabama selling newspapers for 50 years and counting. Meet Louise Nall, a remarkable 96-year-old black woman from Montgomery, Alabama, who's been selling the Tuskegee News newspapers for over 56 years and counting. Nall's journey selling newspapers began when her son Walter just four years old at the time, wanted to earn some pocket money. So I told him we were going to the news office to get some papers. We went there and got 100 papers, sold those papers so fast we had to go back and get some more, Nall told WSFA. While Walter eventually got busy with school and band activities, Louise's passion for selling papers remained unwavering. Now, at the age of 96, she spends two days a week outside the local Piggly Wiggly store selling papers and chatting with people. I've never been a sitter. Nope, not me. Everything life offers, I enjoy it, said Nall. Scott Richardson from the Tuskegee News acknowledges Louise's significance in the community, stating, She delivers 125 to 150 papers a week. Moreover, selling newspapers also provided an excellent opportunity for Louise to teach her children about money management. When you see something you want and can't afford it now, you just get a job, said Nall. Put you a quarter or fifty cents in there every week. You'll be surprised at how that adds up for you. Louise Nall isn't just about delivering news. She's a beacon of positivity. Her customers value not only staying informed, but also being around her uplifting spirit. For about the first 15 years I knew her, it was like, How are you, Mrs. Nall? Oh, I'm lovely, said Richardson. That captures her essence, always wearing a smile, offering words of encouragement, and providing newspapers to those in need every Wednesday and Thursday, Nall is outside the Piggly Wiggly store from 10.30 in the morning until her newspapers are all sold out. Next one written by Nalal Abdurrahman, posted August 23rd. Bynes Royale Funeral Home celebrates being the oldest black business in Savannah. Savannah, Georgia is an historic city filled with a culture, pardon me, that's filled with a rich culture and a large black community. The city is honoring and celebrating its oldest black-owned business, the Vines Royale Funeral Home, as it remains a crucial part of its black entrepreneurial sector. 
Vines Royale is Savannah's first business created by black people, as confirmed by the Georgia Historical Society. According to WTOC and its digital series Celebrating Black Business Month, the company has been around since the late 1800s, with its current owners taking over in the 1950s. Its grounds have a landmark plaque detailing its history and significance to Savannah's African-American residents and entrepreneurs. During the last years of Reconstruction, Major William Royale established the Royal Undertaking Company to serve African-Americans denied mortuary services by Savannah's white-owned funeral homes. The historical marker states, it goes on, as a formal, mortuary education was not available in the South until the early 20th century. Royale's company trained many prominent black funeral directors in the state through an apprenticeship program. The Bynes family were Brooklyn natives who bought the funeral home and moved to the Georgia city and added on to the name to maintain its history. The married couple, Frank and Frenchie Bynes, integrated their whole family into the business and the Savannah community as well. The Bynes children spoke to the local news outlet about the values of determination and fearlessness instilled by their parents to become successful entrepreneurs, especially in an unfavorable era for black business owners. But to be a black business owner is so special because black people have to do stuff a little extra harder to get where they are today shared one of the Bynes' daughters. As many of their children have become part of the operations, the ability to set up their own entrepreneurial goals while working at Bynes Royale is an opportunity they do not take for granted. It's freedom, it's discipline, it's consistency, shared another member of the Bynes family. And for me, being able to start my business journey in this same building is, I can't describe it, Next one written by Imam Milner, posted August 23rd. Can't Knock the Hustle, How Hip-Hop Inspired the Growth of Black-Owned Businesses. There's no denying the marketing juggernaut hip-hop culture has been for the past 50 years. From Run DMC making Adidas the most, pardon me, the must-have apparel for b-boys and cool kids in the 1980s, Two luxury brands like Versace and Chanel benefiting from the flashy bravado of the 1990s. The profitability of hip-hop has been apparent from the start. However, it would take many years for the money-making machine created by black people in this country to trickle down to the communities they came from. According to Yahoo Finance, Hip-hop and the community it represents have harnessed the $16 billion economic impact of the culture, turning it into a financial empowerment and a generational wealth accumulator. From fashion industry disruptors like popular streetwear brands FUBU and Rokaware, to major players in industries spanning TV, film, art, and spirits, the hustle has become more, pardon me, has become about more than just bragging rights on wax. Hip-hop has grown to recognize its power, and with around 3 million black-owned businesses in America, it's become the catalyst through which the creatives who birthed it have stepped into their own. 
Hip-hop went from being a fad to commercialized and monetized in technology, fashion, sports, and business. Datavio Samuels, CEO of Revolt, said, he went on, in the beginning we weren't owners, just brand ambassadors, not accumulating wealth from a genre and culture that we created. We've gone from making others rich to being wealth accumulators. Where hip-hop artists like Sean Jay-Z Carter, Sean Diddy Combs, and Andre Dr. Dre Young were once anomalies in the culture, breaking away from simply being the face of largely white brands to launch their own successful ventures, it is now more shocking to find artists whose only stream of income is music-related. And the culture's Midas touch has extended past those who hold the mic. People like Dapper Dan, Missa Hilton, Vashti, pardon me, I'm not sure, I'm not familiar with that one, Vashti, Dream Hampton and Shireen Wood have leveraged their connection to hip-hop to gain notoriety in their respective industries. Hip-hop allowed black creatives and artists to create brands that wouldn't have existed without hip-hop and allowed us to engage in collective economics, supporting other black businesses, said Wood, who is the president and CEO of 5001 Flavors and Harlem Haberdashery. Pardon me, Haberdashery. Hip-hop opened a door to a lot of black brands. Next one was posted August 24th, and it just says written by the editors here at Black Enterprise. 12-year-old black entrepreneur juggling school and owning a food truck business. Meet Mario Mack, a 12-year-old African-American boy from Fairfield, Alabama, who is the young entrepreneur behind Jay's Pop-Up Shake. Pardon me. Jay's Pop-Up Shaved Ice. Starting when he was just 10 years old, he embarked on a journey to bring his business vision to life, all while keeping up with his studies. From its start, Mario was driven to succeed like his mom, who inspired his independent spirit and paved the way for him. She really liked to work for herself, and I saw that early on when she started, and I thought it was really cool, Mario told CS. CBS 42, pardon me. So I wanted to do my own thing and start a food truck. Fast forward two years and he bought his first trailer. Now he's on a mission to expand and level up his business by investing in a larger one. This ambitious young entrepreneur is saving up for that big step. Urban Impact Birmingham, an organization helping new businesses, pardon me, helping new business minds like Mario's, plays a role in his journey. Its program manager, Courtney Craig, said they are passionate about providing opportunities to all entrepreneurs. From programs to capital access, they're dedicated to fostering entrepreneurship in the community, especially young entrepreneurs, which have been increasing lately. It's necessary. We need to have a wraparound approach in our community when we're serving entrepreneurs and we need our kids to have something productive, said Courtney. For Mario, his business isn't just a side hustle, it's his passion. Despite his tender age, he's living out his entrepreneurial dreams and he already has his future plans set out, saying, I want to own my own restaurant and I want to be able to cook. But Mario's dreams aren't just his own, he wants to inspire fellow young minds. 
He firmly believes that with determination anything is possible. He is an example of turning passion into reality. Moreover, balancing school during the week and running his business on weekends, Mario makes the most of his time. He is also a kind-hearted soul. Often setting up shop at local parks in Birmingham, there he treats the homeless to free shaved ice at least once a month. Be sure to follow Jay's pop-up Shaved Ice. It has an official Facebook page. Next article written by Stacy Jackson, posted August 23rd. Tamia Guest achieves success as one of the few black chiropractors. Tamia Guest, spelled with two M's, owner and founder of Rejuvenating Chiropractic, is putting her healing hands to work. According to KSBY, Guest is among less than 2.5% of black chiropractors in the field. After opening in 2013 and attending to the needs of almost 200 patients a week, the offices have expanded and opened a second location. Using her 20 years of hospital experience, Guest pursued her interests in chiropractic care. She was able to enter the entrepreneurial industry by establishing two chiropractic offices in the Dallas area. Guest opened her first office after she finished college, using college savings and support from her family. However, building her clientele was difficult. I'm very shy and introvert. You can be a good adjuster as far as chiropractic and wellness, but you're going to have to be able to get people in the door because those things really don't matter if you can't get people in the door, said Guest. Guest's prior experience in healthcare contributed to her success as a chiropractor. I already kind of had a feel for how the medical field works with many doctors, nurses, and patients, so when I brought that to my clinical experience as a chiropractor, it felt very natural and people felt like they could trust me, said Guest. Trust is significant for black Americans seeking care. According to the Commonwealth Fund, a 2020 poll found that 55% of black Americans do not trust the health care system. Although black Americans are skeptical about the health care system, Guest provides comfort and trust among her patients. Many clients do specify that they would like to see a black provider in the sense that they say they feel like they're very uncomfortable. Oh, pardon me. They feel like they're very comfortable. They feel like they are heard. She has established long-standing relationships with her patients. I've had most of my clients since my clinic years. I believe that many of them stay with me because I make them feel like family, said Guest. Despite statistics about the success of black businesses, Guest says, there was nothing in my mind that brought me to think I couldn't make it, you know, putting in the work. Reportedly, one-third of new businesses close before two years of operation, while eight out of ten black-owned businesses fail within the first 18 months. Guest has hopes to train the future generation of chiropractors and business owners to help them build their communities. Next article was posted August 7th, written by Derek Major. Three black business leaders paving the way in non-traditional industries. Black businesses have been booming in recent years. 
the coronavirus pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the focus on black equity have led thousands of black men and women across America to become bosses. And according to Forbes, black entrepreneurship continues to rise post-pandemic. The number of new black business owners has risen 38%, while 17% of black women are in the process of launching or already running a new business. While many black business owners are thriving in traditional occupations such as retail, food, fashion, and entertainment, some black entrepreneurs have found success in non-traditional roles. Here are three black entrepreneurs who have chosen different paths as business owners. Jerris Morris at Supplement, spelled S-U-P-L-M-N-T, in 2018, Jerris Morris was selling items on Amazon when he noticed a company on the site that was selling thousands of water bottles he'd never heard of. When he asked his friends if they'd ever heard of the brand, pretty much every single person that was black or Latino that I knew told me they'd never heard of this brand, he recalls. Morris did some research checking the backgrounds of several water bottle companies and realized that none of them specifically targeted the urban culture. There's a huge demographic of people that are kind of left out when you bring up insulated water bottles. So getting into another niche that no one else is in is refreshing, says Morris. I would see so many white people carrying their Yetis and their insulated bottles and all the black people using plastic cups or plastic water bottles. And it's primarily because there isn't a brand that targets us. Morris saw a business opportunity and in 2021 created Supplement, an insulated water bottle geared toward urban communities. Supplement features a number of infused water bottles and tumblers with thick stainless steel and double wall vacuum insulation to keep drinks cold for 24 hours and hot for 12 hours. It also offers accessories and clothing to support the brand. For Morris, Supplement isn't all about making money. He's using the brand to teach black and Latino people the importance of regular hydration. You know water is the body's most important supplement, so that's why I created the name Supplement with only one vowel, Morris tells Black Enterprise. I wanted to make sure we create a super dope aesthetic and an aesthetically pleasing bottle that matches your outfit. But there's that underlying messaging behind the entire brand, which is the importance of drinking water and staying hydrated in our urban communities. And Monica Maraglilo, Maraglilo with Girl Build. Temple alum Monica Miraglilo is on a mission to empower girls and women by giving them the knowledge and tools to build their own homes through Girl Build, an initiative for women interested in the renovation and construction industries. Through workshops, private sessions, a master class, and a podcast, Mira Glilo teaches the ins and outs of construction and home renovation, including HVAC, hanging drywall, and plumbing. I started Girl Build so I can empower women and give them the tools to build whatever they want. Miraglilo tells Black Enterprise, I thought it was necessary. I felt like we were a very small percentage of the construction industry. 
But if you give us the tools, we can build anything. Because, like I say all the time, women are the backbone of building everything. We build family and relationships, so what better way than to build each other up? Less than 20% of women are in the construction industry, but Miraglilo, a former model, is changing that by teaching women and girls the skills that will give them a lifetime of knowledge. Girl Builds, huge fan base, also includes fathers and grandfathers who love what Miraglilo is doing for their daughters and granddaughters. Girl Build is just getting started. Its plans include working with organizations and charities that give back to underprivileged women who need housing. Miraglilo is also considering a series of conferences and different cities Girl Build can tap into to continue teaching young girls and women to build homes and to feel accomplished and confident in themselves. Girl Build is going to help you shape you and build you from the inside out and we're looking forward to holding conferences on our website she says we're working on bringing in different partners that are going to teach literacy banking how to apply for a loan and dive into shaping their minds so they're prepared and derek miles with core med that's spelled c-o-u-r-m-e-d and his name is with two R's, Derek. Former healthcare executive Derek Miles took a severance package during the 2008 housing crisis and in 2015 started CoreMed, a healthcare solutions company providing pardon me, enterprise software and innovative concierge delivery, crowdsourced, route, drone, and autonomous vehicle all services from healthcare providers to patients' homes and offices. CoreMed exploded during the COVID-19 pandemic, partnering with Microsoft and Google as a telehealth became popular. Miles tells Black Enterprise that being a Black man in the wellness space, he's had his fair share of strange looks when meeting other executives and industry leads. That's what amazed me more than anything because of my background as a former healthcare executive, but still I've seen people look at me as if I don't know what I'm talking about, Miles admits. When we started, most people looked at us like we had three heads, but we found our niche with individuals who wanted a competitive advantage and who wanted to save time. During the pandemic, CoreMed was a valued service for many including immunocompromised people who didn't want to go to a hospital or pharmacy to get tested for COVID-19. With the worst days of pandemic hopefully behind us, neither CoreMed nor Miles is ready to slow down. What we're currently doing now is working with affluent individuals to help them get services in the comfort of their home, said Miles. What I'm excited about is a new vertical called Aging Well at Home, my parents are getting older, and I hated the experience when my grandparents went to nursing homes. So with CoreMed, now individuals north of 70 can get their wellness and health care at home. They don't have to go to a nursing home. Next from Nancy E. Williams, posted August 23rd. I'm still reading from Black Enterprise. Black Business Month, advice from four entrepreneurs dominating business ownership through franchising. 
August is Black Business Month, which is a great time to gather advice from some very successful black business owners who are dominating the franchise industry in a variety of businesses. Black Enterprise connected with four entrepreneurs who have made their mark in franchising. Shannon Sever, owner of Gem Guys in Silicon Valley. Eamon April Kennedy, owners of Pet Supplies Plus in LaGrange, Illinois. Stephanie Mosley, multi-unit owner of Marco's Pizza in Virginia. And Antoine Cheek, owner of Kim Dry in Philadelphia. A few questions for them. First, what is the number one piece of advice you have for black entrepreneurs looking to start a business? Shannon Seaver, develop mental toughness. This means to cultivate a winner's mindset. We are what we think about repeatedly. Dedicating significant time to mastering one's mind is vital. The most practical way of doing this is to read, listen, and learn about the power of positive thinking. Mental toughness for black entrepreneurs positions us on solid ground, enabling us to remain confident during the good and character-building times. Through faith, we can conquer all things. Eamon April Kennedy said, To not be afraid to try something different and out of your comfort zone. Realize you may not know all of the correct answers, yet research your target market and know who your customers will be. This will allow you to tailor an experience for them and not just sell them products. Be bold. Stephanie Mosley, ensure you have the financial health and the personal fortitude to stay the course until you achieve your dream. There will be many adversities and difficulties, sometimes gunning for you at the same time, but you must remain strong and steadfast while keeping your focus on the goal. And Antoine Cheek, be prepared for the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. Make sure you have a sound business plan and personal credit and business credit. In my opinion, this is a must. And why is franchising a great opportunity for black entrepreneurs? Seaver says franchising provides a playbook for success. Franchises consist of proven methodologies and techniques to grow a particular business. Franchising gives you the ability to take a refined idea and make it better without having to reinvent the wheel. There's always room for improvement, and franchising helps entrepreneurs execute at a high level with support. For the black entrepreneur, franchising is particularly important because it provides us with the opportunity to scale a business much faster and more efficiently. To whom much is given, much is expected. The Kennedys say... Make sure you find the right franchise to work with. We chose Pet Supplies Plus over a couple of other smaller pet franchises because of the name recognition the brand has built into it and the support structure they have on the corporate side. This is an important key to success for the new franchisee. It somewhat takes the brand building out of the picture and allows you to focus on adding your personalized touch to the brand this is the way you, you can set yourself apart from others. I love it when we get compliments on our service and our personal touches. Mosley says, unlike starting a business with your own concept, franchising already has a sound, well-tested formula for success in place for you to follow. This helps to prevent you from serious pitfalls that could potentially wipe you out financially before you get off the ground. 
Cheek says, you are joining a brand with a proven business model. In franchising, you're given a blueprint to successful results. Every business has its ups and downs, but franchising provides you with the additional support of a corporate team and other franchises who have gone through similar situations. Moving on to more general news articles. I'm still reading from the blackenterprise.com. The Obama Voyager Scholarship offers student travel opportunity. This is written by Nalal Abdur Rahman, posted August 23rd. Former First Lady and 44th President Michelle and Barack Obama have released the new cohort of college students given the opportunity to engage in world travel. Their latest initiative grants scholarships to provide applicants with the financial assistance to broaden their surroundings and experiences. Deemed the Voyager Scholarship, the Obamas have partnered with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky to help students fund their educational and travel goals. Mrs. Obama shared the exciting news via her ex-profile. She said, These changemakers are making a difference in their communities, and we can't wait to support them along their journeys in public service. The Obama-Chesky Scholarship for Public Service announced its new cohort of voyagers that will receive the financial allotment that will change the trajectory of their academic and professional careers. Not only does the scholarship lessen the pricey burden of acquiring a degree, but it will also allow the lucky recipients to take part in travel excursions that pique their academic interests. The scholarship will also provide and broaden applicants' networks through successful mentors, bringing insight and guidance to the future leaders as they embark on their goals. In the mission of public service, these international voyages will encourage students in attendance to source new ways to affect change and become global citizens. The Voyager Scholarship is another installment in the Obama Foundation, the couple's post-presidential organization dedicated to continuing their walk of communal service. The students who are part of the 2023 through 2025 cohort have received funding of up to $50,000 to be utilized in financial aid for school fees. Per their travel experiences, students will not only receive a stipend of $10,000 for their summer abroad programs, but also live in free housing, courtesy of Airbnb. Students, upon returning from their adventures, will participate in a fall summit to connect and help progress the conversations regarding public service on a global scale. An ongoing speaker series will inspire participants to remain dedicated to the work that champions community and the betterment of all livelihoods in the public service sector. Some news from Florida. This one also written by Nalal Abdurrahman, posted August 23rd. Florida Elementary School Racially Targets Underperforming Black Students. Bunnell Elementary School in Flagler County, Florida, is being called out for targeting only the low-scoring black students in an assembly. Parents of the 4th and 5th graders say that the administrators intentionally divided the children by race. Local news outlet WESH reported the incident occurred on Friday, August 18th. The black students, some of whom were not underperforming on tests, were presented with a racially specific PowerPoint. During the presentation, they were given statistics regarding the standardized test performance of African Americans, 
where these facts came from and their accuracy has not been verified. Parents whose children were unwilling attendees at the assembly said they did not approve of the information shared with the young learners. They were also not made aware that the assembly was happening. Students were incentivized with fast food for, quote, higher grades, as an anonymous parent told the news source that the kids were promised to be rewarded with McDonald's or Chick-fil-A if they improved. However, the offensiveness of the conversation did not end there, as the mother also shared that her daughter received high scores on her assessments, despite being told of the consequences of low grades, and was not the only high-performing child in the room. You left the white children to continue their education, and the black children had to go out to be talked about the consequences of not being successful, said one mother. It became racial for me when they included and boxed all of the black children together, no matter if they were below average, average, or above average. The interim superintendent at the Florida school, La Shakia Moore, released a statement explaining the school's intentions, but expressed that there was a more considerable way to address the issue. While the desire to help this particular subgroup of students is to be commended, how this was done does not meet the expectations we desire among Flagler schools, wrote Superintendent Moore. We want our parents and guardians to actively participate in their children's educational successes without informing them of this assembly or of the plans to raise these scores our parents were not properly engaged. The educational leader stated that she will continue investigating the matter and will work alongside the school's principal to ensure they, quote, affect change in the appropriate manner that does not alienate certain groups. The next article comes from TheRoot.com, written by Jessica Washington, published on the 24th. Sorry, Ramaswamy, the EPA administrator just shut down your whole climate change is a hoax thing. The Root met with EPA Administrator Michael Reagan to discuss environmental justice, the Black Economic Forum, and climate change, parentheses, which is real, by the way. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Reagan is here to set the record straight. Climate change is real, exclamation point. The fact that he even has to say this in 2023 is absolutely bonkers, but here we are. Last night, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy called climate change a hoax, bizarrely claiming that more people have died from climate change efforts than from the crisis itself. I don't think it's a serious conversation or a serious statement to say that climate change isn't real, Reagan told The Root. 97% of scientists focused on climate change, and science understands that it's real. Reagan, who spoke to The Root ahead of his trip to the Black Economic Forum, said that comments like Ramaswamy's are nothing but a distraction. We should all focus really on what the national and international solutions are, he said, and not really give too much credence to the very, very small fringe who don't even want to acknowledge that climate change and climate impacts are affecting Americans every day. Speaking of solutions, Regan had plenty to discuss on that front. I'm proud to say that the EPA has taken on the leadership role for this administration. 
really centering justice and equity in every single thing we do, he says. Reagan touted the Biden administration's signature legislative achievements on environmental justice, including the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act. Communities that have long borne the disproportionate impact of pollution and have not had a seat at the table will now have over $3 billion to invest in solutions that have plagued their communities, said Reagan. At the conference, Reagan plans to stress the ways in which this funding is also a massive economic opportunity for black Americans. As a part of the Inflation Reduction Act, the administration is investing $27 billion in the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund aimed at investing in climate and environmental solutions. It's really important that black entrepreneurs, black businesses, black executives understand that there is an economic opportunity here, he says. There is a significant opportunity to grow our communities and create tens of thousands of jobs along the way, so it's an exciting time. As the first African-American to lead the EPA, Reagan says he's proud to use his life experience to advance equitable solutions to fighting climate change. I understand it's a significant and historic opportunity for me to bring my experiences to the table and really use those experiences to build bridges, he says, for all communities, all races, all ethnicities to come together and think about how we preserve our environment, how we protect public health, how we tackle the climate crisis, and how we do it in a manner where we don't leave anyone behind. And back to blackenterprise.com for a brief news clip. Serena Williams and Alexis Ohanian welcome their beautiful angel daughter, Adira River. This was posted on the 23rd. Tennis goat Serena Williams has become a mom again. She and her billionaire tech entrepreneur husband, Alexis Ohanian, welcomed their second daughter, Adira River, to the world via Instagram on Tuesday, August 23rd. Ohanian shared the news alongside adorable family photos featuring baby Adira's first moments in her, with her big sister, six-year-old Olympia, and said, I'm grateful to report our house is teeming with love, a happy and healthy newborn girl, and a happy and healthy mama. Feeling grateful. And that segues into the sports world. Now I'm reading from the Washington Post, written by Emily Giambalvo, and I'll probably read excerpts from this longer article. It was posted August 23rd. Simone Biles is back and still doing what other gymnasts don't even try. Before Simone Biles began the first routine of her anticipated return this month, the moment held significance. The biggest star in gymnastics had decided to compete again after a two-year layoff, following a profoundly public disappointment at the Tokyo Olympics. By the time the U.S. Classic ended, with Biles winning comfortably, her status as the world's most dominant gymnast seemed restored and secure. As Biles prepares for this weekend's U.S. Championships in San Jose, where she could win her eighth all-around national title, her previous competition mirrored performances of the past. She won by five points, a massive margin in a sport that sometimes separates athletes by thousands of a point. 
She attempted skills so difficult that she had a significant edge against her competitors before anyone performed, and she executed them so well that she didn't need that cushion. Biles, in her 2023 debut, looked similar to Biles of the past, and she followed a script comparable to the one that resulted in 23 gold medals at the Olympics and World Championships combined. Biles's five-point victory over all-around runner-up Leon Wong this month was the largest single-day winning margin of her senior elite career, which began in 2013. However, many of the top American contenders did not perform on all four apparatuses, which is relatively common at that event, held just a few weeks before nationals. This weekend's competition will offer a better glimpse into how far Biles stands above the U.S. field, which includes 2022 World All-Around Silver Medalist Shalise Jones, reigning Olympic All-Around Gold Medalist Suniso Lee, and fellow Olympians Jordan Childs and Jade Carey, though Lee will compete only on vault and beam. After her U.S. Classic win, Biles wanted first to enjoy the accomplishment of returning to competition, but she added, I'm in a really good spot. Biles already seems in position to enter the World Championships this fall and eventually the Paris Olympics as the all-around gold medal favorite. Brazil's Rebecca Andrade won the title in 2022 with a score of 56.899. Scoring at major global competitions is generally more strict than at domestic competitions, but Biles' 2023 debut earned 59.1, indicating she still has a major edge. Biles' combined difficulty score at the U.S. Classic at 25.7 also far exceeded that of Andrade at 23.9 at last year's World Championships. For years, Biles has challenged the boundaries of what's possible in the sport. She often seems to exist on a tier of her own, so the most relevant comparisons are between her current form and her past self. After the U.S. Classic, Biles said she told her coach, I think I'm in better shape than I was in 2021, referring to her physical and mental condition. Biles' routines are still packed with difficulty. She tweaked the composition a bit, but in her return, she performed the most difficult vault in women's gymnastic, the Yurchenko double pike. Biles' coach, Cecile Landy, said Biles can do all of the skills she could before the Tokyo Games. Most notably, Biles appeared to have no problem with twisting elements which is what rattled her at the Olympics, though she attempted, pardon me, though she admitted she gets a little bit nervous. Biles added, I think it's just subconscious, but other than that, I know my body is capable. Biles's floor routine had the most changes, only one tumbling pass, a back double layout with a half twist, which is named for Biles, who usually connects it to a jump. It remained the same. The rest of her passes, though different, are still difficult, rather than opening with a triple-twisting double-tuck, another element named for her. She opted for a full-twisting double layout, which has a lower difficulty value, but for Biles, is a consistent 
option. Biles upgraded her combination pass, previously a front layout with a full twist connected to a round-off back handspring full twisting double tuck. She added a twist to the final element and now ends the pass with a double twisting double tuck, which would be the hardest skill in many gymnasts' routines, even without the full front at the start. Pardon me, that's even without the front full at the start. Biles used to end with a double twisting double tuck, but she can't repeat the element, so now she finishes with a back double layout, a skill that hadn't been part of her routine since 2014. With these passes, Biles is poised to have the hardest floor routine in the world. Perhaps most impressively, she stayed in bounds at the U.S. Classic with controlled landings, which is often where she has errors because her tumbling explodes with so much excess power. The next article comes from the Chicago Tribune, and it was posted Monday 21st, written by Jenna Smith. Black Chicagoans are tired of waiting for solutions to maternal mortality, so they're creating their own. Dateline Chicago. At age 30, Janine Valerie Logan was having a miscarriage. The room was sterile, cold, guarded only by a curtain to maintain a semblance of privacy and a thin hospital gown, she sat waiting for the procedure that would remove the remaining pregnancy tissue. As she stood up to sit, pardon me, as she stood to sit atop the bed that would wheel her to the operating room, the physician asked her, "Do you want me to give you an IUD so you don't have any more unplanned pregnancies?" The question stopped her in her tracks, and the fear and loneliness she'd been feeling suddenly replaced with profound anger. Who said this was an unwanted pregnancy, she recalled, thinking at the time. I remember grabbing the nurse and being like, please do not let him put an IUD in. Upon waking from the operation, she was told by a supervising nurse that throughout her sleep, she continuously repeated the phrase, don't let him take my uterus, don't let him take my uterus. The urgent pleas for control over one's body have been echoed by black women across Chicago and the country over the course of the nation's history. Following the death this spring of U.S. Olympic champion sprinter Tori Bowie from complications related to childbirth, a national conversation has been sparked once again over, black, pardon me, over America's black maternal mortality rate. The black community's mistrust of the medical field and the disproportionate effect on black women. In Chicago, where recent hospital closings have rendered entire swaths of the city birth deserts, the issue is laid plain. Black maternal health care conditions remain dismal despite years of criticism. Black health care officials say, tired of waiting on others to find answers, black Chicagoans like Valerie Logan are stepping up to create their own solutions for the lack of care. Nearly a decade after her miscarriage, Valerie Logan, a midwife and a mother of three, is on track to help open a South Shore birthing center dedicated to black birthing people and their families by 2025. The birth center is being designed, she said, to reflect the South Shore community in which it will be located. Our board is 100% black, she said adding that she is focused on hiring individuals from the South Side to work at the birth center. 
so that we have an understanding of what's important to our community. Before 2019, Chicago had 19 hospitals with birthing units, with six located on the south side, but after a series of closures, the north and west sides have six birthing hospitals remaining while the south side has left has been left with three. We don't even have enough providers giving prenatal care, said Dr. Jonna Richards, an obstetrician gynecologist and assistant professor at the University of Chicago. That means black patients go unheard, she added. Even when they want to get prenatal care, it's very hard to find, certainly on the south side, she said. Shay Dunn lives 30 minutes outside the city's southwest borders in suburban Montgomery. She's a Beyonce fan, an avid iced coffee drinker, and devoted mother of four. Despite frequent social media updates from at Daily with Shay on Instagram, her pregnancies weren't always picture perfect. Throughout her third, she recalled experiencing discrimination and disregard from her health care providers, culminating with a bad reaction to an epidural to which she says doctors didn't sufficiently respond. When the epidural unexpectedly wore off, she remembered telling her medical providers, hey, I'm feeling everything. And I know from past experience that I'm not supposed to be feeling this right now, she recalled. I felt like they weren't too worried about what I was saying. It was more so like, let's just get this baby here and get her down to recovery because we have someone after her to fill the spot, said Dunn. I just felt like I was not being heard and I just felt like, gosh, I was not supposed, pardon me, I was not supported during that time and it was just not the birth experience that I wanted. She paused for a moment before exhaling. It just felt like I was a number instead of a patient. Knowing that there's a disparity in treatment for black mothers in the U.S., Dunn decided to take care into her own hands when she became pregnant with her fourth child. She chose to give birth in the comfort of her own home, aided by a midwife who shared her racial identity and a family connection. Dunn's initiative is familiar to other black mothers and healthcare advocates who are investing in expanding pregnancy education and birth options in the black community, such as Chicago doula Lucretia Woods. With only a quick, pardon me, with only a quick scroll through Woods's TikTok, viewers can find information about patients' rights during delivery, organizations that offer free birth doula services for low-income mothers, and warning signs of an emergency pregnancy, all with the latest trending audios in the background. Outside of the small screen, Woods cares for black mothers in the delivery room, showing up as a listener and an ally. Just having someone in the room that looks like you, it gives you this feeling of calmness, of peace. You feel safe, like there's another me in the room and I know she's going to take care of me. It may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal, she said. If you are a black woman and thinking about going into birth work, do it. Finish it, no matter what, just go through with it. Because there's a woman out there who's going to need you one day. Eva Marie Lewis is an advocate for these women. As founder of the Free Roots Operation, she's launched an effort to combat poverty-induced gun violence by investing in black women and their families, particularly single black mothers. I'm not in the birth space at all, but the death rate that black women have after giving birth or during childbirth 
I believe is directly tied to the systemic negligence that black women experience, she said. Lewis works each day to fill this care debt through wellness programs that help black mothers cultivate self-investment. Her work leads Chicagoland's black mothers through everything from taking them out to Broadway plays, to providing them with free therapy, to hosting self-love-centered workshops. Despite our contribution, despite the care that we show to others, despite our roles and communities, we are not receiving the care that we need anywhere, said Lewis, and thus, we are receiving a lack of care everywhere. Health care doesn't sit in silos. There is no sole determining factor to explain why black maternity patients die at higher rates than white patients, said Dr. Robin Jones, an obstetrician-gynecologist based at Rush University Medical Center with over 33 years of experience and the former chair of the Illinois Maternal Mortality Review Committee, Jones said. Healthcare doesn't sit in silos. When we review maternal deaths, you cannot just look at the medical circumstances of their deaths. Instead, we realize it's larger than that. We're looking at the communities in which they live. A lack of access to pharmacies, for example, makes it difficult for patients to get prescriptions, while food deserts mean healthy, fresh food is often out of reach. We're looking at things like transportation, access to care, access to child care, said Jones. We're looking at things like education, economic factors, all of which bear into why did this woman die. Recent policy adjustments have signaled potential increased attention given to these long-standing structural inequalities. For instance, in 2021, Illinois became the first state in the country to expand Medicaid benefits from 60 days to 12 months postpartum. Regardless of these signs of progress, Jones noted that the question of black maternal mortality isn't solely an issue of class. It cannot be boiled down to a debate on transportation, location, or Medicaid versus private insurance. This, at its core, is a question of race, said Jones. An African-American woman like myself with a doctor of medicine degree is more likely to have a pregnancy-related medical death than her white counterparts with a high school education, said Jones. Access is not a problem for me. Transportation is not a problem for me. I have an MD degree, she added. So we know that it's more than the social determinants of health that are playing a role. No amount of success inherently exempts a black woman from racially biased treatment, she said and her point plays out in national headlines. Approximately one year after tennis star Serena Williams opened up about her life-or-death labor experience, Bowie, formerly the fastest woman in the world, was found dead at 32, eight months pregnant. Weighing 96 pounds, she died at home alone and unaided by medical care. When Bowie Bowie crossed the finish line in 2017 with her legendary lean to win the 100 meters at the World Championships in London. Chicago's maternal health experts said she carried a nation with her that bears bleak statistics, one in which she was three times more likely to die in childbirth simply due to the color of her skin. A nation in which generations of black women faced non-consensual and unanesthetized pain and suffering to create the medical technology of today, a nation in which, despite the world-class achievements she attained, 
there were not enough protections to save her life and that of her child. Black women have the highest maternal mortality rate in the United States, 69.9 per 100,000 live births in 2021, almost three times the rate for white women. Every time a black birthing person is lost through pregnancy or postpartum, every single one is like a punch to the stomach, said Valerie Logan. And then it just makes me think about how that's just what we see on the news. There's so many more that we don't know their names. During her pregnancy, Bowie didn't trust the hospitals. She wanted to make sure that the baby was going to be okay with her being in control, said Bowie's agent, speaking after her death. With this, history, providers and patients alike grapple with one central question, how can trust be rebuilt? Let's start with the number of black and brown individuals who are actually admitted to medical school, said Jones. She advocates for ensuring that when you look around that boardroom table, it is representative of the United States, or at least the community in which they serve. That is how trust is built. For Valerie Logan, shivering in her hospital room over a decade ago, heavy with fear, the trust came from another source, her nurse. I know she is a woman of color because of the way we looked at each other, she said. Following the doctor's inappropriate question, Valerie Logan remembered the glances that she and her nurse exchanged. It was not necessary to have any words. A midwife herself, Valerie Logan does everything she can to ensure her patients feel that they can trust her in the same way. She said, when I go with people into surgeries, I walk with them instead of ahead of them. At the birth center, clients will be provided with a team of experts to assist throughout the pregnancy, complete with a lactation counselor, a doula, and a nurse educator. Along with pregnancy care, the birth center will also provide reproductive health care, STD testing, and family planning resources. Fundraising efforts are underway for the anticipated 2025 opening, if you're interested www.chicagosouthsidebirthcenter.org. Valerie Logan says she imagines a medical center in which black women are believed. She hopes to cultivate a space where black women's health is not looked at through the lens of a particular body part, but rather that of a complete human being. That brings me to the end of our time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. This was the Black Experience Hour. AINC programming is brought to you in part by funds from the Virginia W. Hill Foundation. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.